0: Do you know the name Wallace D. Fard or Wallace Fard Muhammad? Well, I knew the name growing up because the nation of Islam was very prominent, uh, especially when I became, you know, an adult working in the media. Uh, I spent a lot of time at the mosque in Harlem, uh, spent some time at a mosque in Newark and was following people like Conrad Muhammad and, um all around. And, and it was interesting. It was interesting learning about the nation of Islam, but recently, and I'm going to be doing more on what I'm watching, right? And so what I'm watching this week is something on Netflix called who killed Malcolm. And I'm going to get more in depth. I uh, probably, I'm probably going to do two or three more podcasts on the making of who killed Malcolm. But as I watch anything, uh, breadcrumbs are dropped right so there was a big thing uh in one of the episodes about Elijah Muhammad and how the honorable Elijah Muhammad was one of the most surveilled people during the 50s and 60s in America the FBI spent more time surveilling him than Martin Luther King and all the other civil rights leaders, and it was curious to me because if you look at it, they are apolitical, Nation of Islam, they weren't involved in politics, but they were the most feared organization, and I had to think about that, um, and I'm going to do a whole podcast on fear and why, but I want to talk today about Wallace D. Fard or Wallace Fard Muhammad because virtually nothing is known about this man, and I'm always fascinated by people who are able to create an entire movement This man built something that to this day still exists, is presided over by Minister Louis Farrakhan. But more importantly, he laid down the blueprint for something that should have been, should have been duplicated all over. And I'm not getting into the religion part of it. And and I shouldn't even have to say that. So let me just say, you know, when I was starting to talk about this, I wanted to say, you know, I'm not part of the nation of Islam, but why do I have to say that? Who cares? You know, I'm going to talk about truth and facts, and we're going to get into the details of things, and I shouldn't have to defend myself, or no one should. No one should have to distance themselves from anything. Think what you want. (laughs) So I'm going to just move forward. Um, Wallace Fard Muhammad, virtually nothing is known about him. They think he was born in February of 1877. They don't quite know where he was born. They think he might have died in 1934 because that's when he disappeared but there's no death, there's no real name for him, there's no background, there's no family members, they, don't, they can't tell you where he went to school and what he started. What we do know, where we pick up on Wallace Fart Muhammad is through Elijah Poole, who met him in August of 1931 in Detroit. Before that, though, the, the, the organization that Wallace Farr Muhammad created before it became the Nation of Islam was founded on the principle that black people were the original Asiatics, that black people were the original man. Now, we now know 50, 60 years in the future that, that, that he wasn't off. He knew some things. And if I look at a picture of him, because there were stories, you know, various stories, because, again, you got to follow breadcrumbs if you want to really embrace history. And this is what this space is about, like telling the truth, getting our minds right and our perspectives right, but also providing you with breadcrumbs to start to follow certain paths and figure some things out for yourself. But the image of him, um, the one or two pictures that I've seen, he looks like a white man. And I think that's always interesting when I think about, you know, leaders, whether we're talking about W.E.B. Du Bois, who I think he was half white, Booker T. Washington, half white, Frederick Douglass half white when we think about adam clayton powell could pass for white when we think about many of the powerful uh and i'm putting up air quotes around black because again race is a made-up construct there's really no such thing as white and there's really no such thing as black it appears to me even the harry belafonte's of the world not that he could pass for white but you know the lighter complected folk who can move through the world plessy versus ferguson plessy was a man who could pass for white rosa parks um, you, you, there's a palatability, and I don't know whether the palatability is on the side of black folk, so-called black folk, or so-called white folk. Whether people get to rise up into leadership, A. Philip Randolph, because of their complexion, they got the right complexion for the connection. When we think about the first senator in uh, during Reconstruction, look like a white person, and you, and we go through this, um, this, this space, understanding that um, proximity to whiteness provides people with comfort. That's a whole other podcast, but I was just thinking about, when I was looking at his picture, I was like, there were, there were stories that he might have been um, you know, a Nazi uh, infiltrating, he, they, they connected him with the Japanese, you know, because you, you have to discredit people in such a horrific way, like the Red Scare, that they're gonna undermine our democracy. Meanwhile, our democracy is being undermined every day by people in government, but that's neither here nor there. But you think about this man, and I, and I often say, you know, the, uh, Angela Davis, the most, uh, Huey P. Newton, some of the most vigilant fighters for justice are people who could pass. And it's almost as if their light skin, Ed Gordon, puts them in a position to, to prove that they are black. And, and there's something good about that, right? Like, because I, I think about Adam Clayton Powell. He didn't have to do that, but he had a boldness because his white, white complexion allowed him to have entree into places that then he could just be as black as he wanted to be, like bringing black people into the uh, lunchroom at, in Congress, which was illegal at the time, and, and he dared people to say anything about it because he had agency like that. But I think about um, Wallace Fart muhammad and I wonder if he were, say, the complexion of Marcus Garvey, if he would have been as effective in corralling black folk around this notion that black people were the original man and black people were the purveyors and the, and the progenitors of civilization. And that we were the folks that, that put everything, that there, there's no one without us. Coming from that white face gave it more validity and gave it more structure and gave it more um, veracity, veracity and truth. So I, I think that's interesting, but that's not why I want to talk about him today. What I want to talk about today is architecture and structure and building. And uh, you don't have to like the fu- fu- you know Nation of Islam or the Food of Islam, which was founded shortly after. Um, but you got to respect what this one man who we know nothing about who j- literally disappeared in 1934 was able to do in a short period of time and and they're putting the time frame around 3 years. So I'm saying that there should be a 3-year time frame for everyone listening to build something. Not you don't have to build a whole movement, but build something. And if this man could build a whole movement in 3 years that is still existent to this day, what are we doing? So, um he started with an ideology. So these these are the 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 blueprints. These are the 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 um the, the ways in which you build something, okay? You first have to have an ideology that you can rally people around. You have to have a thought. And this can be good or bad. I'm, I'm hoping people listening will use these powers for good. I'm hoping, it's a lot harder though, let me just say. It's a lot harder to build something for good because you're gonna have so many naysayers. Negativity is a drug and it is so easy to jump on that bandwagon and run with it because it's going nowhere, it's going nowhere. There's, it's, it's empty calories. To build something for good, and I don't know, you know, and I do know, I think Wallace Fart Muhammad, you know, I, I don't know what was in his, in his head because he wasn't interviewed much. There were, there, there's a dossier that, that the FBI kept on him because they recognized that he was dangerous to their power structure. A man that no one knows anything about, that they couldn't even figure out who he was, and that's probably why he was dangerous. So I want to highlight that too. We talk a lot uh, about leadership. And when we talk about leadership, particularly in a black community, there's always people we can point to, whether it's Booker T or W.E.B. Du Bois and uh, Malcolm and Martin and Jesse and Al. And, you know, there's always throughout history these people that are the leaders of something, even Marcus Garvey. But I think the power of Wallace Farrt Muhammad was that he was anonymous. He was he's relatively anonymous there's really nothing about him and he literally handed built something and handed the power over to the next generation quietly elijah muhammad came into power quite, seamlessly and if you're going to have any kind of organizational movement it shouldn't be around a charismatic leader yes uh, according to elijah muhammad Wallace Farr, Mohammed, was a dynamic speaker, and he was able to, prevent, to, to convey this message of black empowerment in a way that made him basically joined at the hip to this man. Like he said, he could not get away from him. He said he, he almost felt jailed because from 1931, when he met him in August, to 1934, when he just disappeared, Elijah Mohammed was just attached at the hip and learned and soaked up everything, which is another message. You don't just step into... Thing half cocked. I think so many people today they get half a notion of something and then they run off into it as if it's something to do, um, without understanding the actual architecture of a thing. I'm sure over those three years that Elijah Muhammad and Wallace Fart Muhammad uh, that he shared with Elijah Muhammad all of the intricate details of how this thing was going to go. I know for a fact that he created an army, literally the fruit of Islam, uh, a, a military army that were not weaponized with actual physical guns, right? They were weaponized in self-defense. They understood uh, how to move with precision and discipline. And these were primarily people who had spent time in jail. And he and he, this is the other thing. So you have an ideology where you empower people to tell them that they're great, and this could go good or evil. We see it with the Nazis. We see it with the white nationalists now, right? You tell them you're better than everybody else. You were the first people. You did everything. And then people go, yeah, because who doesn't want to feel good about themselves? And then, then you give them the blueprint on how to defend, right? And you indoctrinate them into we got to defend this ideology. How do we do that? All right, right now the people in the mil- join the military and the police force just to be able to ha- have weapons, just to be able to have the license to go out and kill people. Right now. And and before that it was the Klan, right? Where they night riders and we're protecting the sanctity of this white you know, beauty and natural or white women. And then they then they use media. So uh, Wallace Fart Muhammad started the final call which was the media outlet to what? Disseminate the ideology and to continue to indoctrinate people into this mindset of black nationalism and black power. So you need a media outlet. You need a military outlet. You need someone to protect the thing that you're putting out. And he did this in a short period of time. Again, three or four years, this man was able to create all of that. And then you need a financial arm. So he was um, going around selling silks. And this was during the Great Depression. So you think nobody had money, right? Nobody had a means, but he was able to build an economy within the, the Great Migration, because he's in Detroit, so black folks are coming up from the South, literally most of them fleeing for their lives from the brutality that was happening. And he's selling them things, right? And it's little by little that he's building an insulated economy. So I'm telling you what to eat. You're not going to eat the white man's food, because that's poison. You're not going to wear the white man's clothes because that's indoctrination and we're going to teach you. You're not going to learn the white man's education and you're not going to do the white man's religion. So he built a church. He built schools. He built a media outlet. He built a a place where people could eat. Right. And told them how to eat. And he also had a clothing manufacturing um, space so people could work and they had places where they could go to spend their money and make money. And he built an economy. Wallace fart Muhammad, Elijah Muhammad took it to the next level, but I want to spend time for you to contemplate and think about, you know, the lessons that can be learned from a thing, and again, this is no indictment, and this is no celebration, this is just to say that it doesn't take all day to do something if there's, if there's a vision for it, and then a plan for it, and then you employ different elements, whether it's media, you create a media outlet to push your message out there. And right now, we live in a time when anybody can become a quote-unquote influencer. Social media is out of control. And I know because I'm on it, and it's not being used, it is being used to, uh, it is being weaponized and used to destroy, but very few people are using it to build things. And I ask this question, why? Why not? Why aren't you? It's so easy to do now because in the noise of negativity, your positive voice can be heard and seen and you can build some great things and it doesn't have to be super large organizations. It could be something that just in your neighborhood can move the needle. Maybe it's an after school program. Maybe it's a Saturday program. Maybe it's something that Brings the neighborhood together on the weekends to clean up. Maybe it's something like that. And then you have a newsletter every week. And then you, you know, give progress. Maybe it's a food um, space. Maybe there's an empty lot in your neighborhood and you want to build and grow some stuff and everybody can eat off of that. I don't know. I don't know because I'm not in your head. But I'm doing these podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking into this microphone, because I believe that there's a unique opportunity right now to build some great things, not unlike in the 20s and 30s in America, not unlike the 50s and 60s in America. We're in a time right now where some things can happen, and I want them to, so I'm going to keep talking. All right, so the next one, I'm going to stay on this, Who Killed Malcolm? And without giving away too much, it's a six-part docu-series, documentary, actually, on Netflix. Um, released this month, uh, the month of February 2020. And uh, I want you to really watch it, but I'm going to break down some some things that I walked away with without giving away too much of the plot. But we know Malcolm was killed. <laughs> so. But who killed him? Yeah, you're going to find out at the end. Um, but that is going to be talked about, uh, Not not who, but how that was able to even happen in a later podcast. So stay tuned to that. Share this with as many People, as you know, because I, I appreciate you. Um, but more importantly, this is how we get the message out. This is a form of media. And this is a responsibility, if you're listening and you're fed by this, to share it, actually. Why wouldn't you want to? Um, also, follow me on Twitter, at Karen Hunter, because Twitter is where I'm able to communicate with you and, and YouTube. But it's different on YouTube. But, yeah, follow me on YouTube as well. Subscribe to uh, Karen Hunter show on YouTube, because every now and then I jump into my YouTube live uh, as I did today and um, yesterday, and chat with people. and um, But that's the space that eventually, hopefully, we'll be able to really build some things as well. So stay tuned there. Um, and let me know what you think. Uh, use the hashtag podcast when you com- converse with me on Twitter, at Karen Hunter, and uh, let's have some conversations. And I want to know what you guys are building. All right, till next time.